Chapter 5, Part 1 of A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Philippines by David Barrows. Chapter 5, Part 1 The Filipino People Before the Arrival of the Spaniards. On the arrival of the Spaniards, the population of the Philippines seems to have been distributed by tribes in much the same manner as at present. Then, as now, the Bisayas occupied the central islands of the archipelago and some of the northern coast of Mindanao. The Bicols, Tagalogs, and Pampangos were in the same parts of Luzon as we find them today. The Ilocanos occupied the coastal plain facing the China Sea. But since the arrival of the Spaniards, they have now expanded considerably, and their settlements are now numerous in Pengasinan, Nueva Vizcaya, and the Valley of Cagayan. These tribes, which today number nearly seven million souls, at the time of Magellan's discovery aggregated not more than five hundred thousand. An early enumeration of the population made by the Spaniards in 1591, which included practically all of these tribes, gave a population of less than 700,000. There are other facts, too, that show us how sparse the population must have been. The Spanish expeditions found many coasts and islands in the Bisayan group without inhabitants. Occasionally, a sailor or a canoe would be seen, and then these would disappear in some small estero or mangrove swamp, and the land seem as unpopulated as before. At certain points, like Limasawa, Butuan, and Bohol, the natives were more numerous, and Cebu was a large and thriving community. But the Spaniards had nearly everywhere to search for settled places and cultivated lands. The sparseness of the population is also well indicated by the scarcity of food. The Spaniards had much difficulty in securing sufficient provisions. A small amount of rice, a pig and a few chickens were obtainable here and there, but the Filipinos had no large supplies. After the settlement of Manila was made, a large part of the food of the city was drawn from China. The very ease with which the Spaniards marched where they willed and reduced the Filipinos to obedience shows that the latter were weak in numbers. Laguna de Bay and the Camarines were among the most populous portions of the archipelago. All of these things and others show that the Filipinos were but a small fraction of their present number. On the other hand, the Negritos seems to have been more numerous, or at least more in evidence. They were immediately noticed on the island of Negros, where at the present they are few and confined to the interior, and in the vicinity of Manila and in Batangas, where they are no longer found, they were mingling with the Tagalog population. The culture of the various tribes, which is now quite the same throughout the archipelago, presented some differences. In the southern Bisayas, where the Spaniards first entered the archipelago, there seemed to have been two kinds of natives. The hill-dwellers, who lived in the interior of the islands in small numbers, who wore garments of tree-bark, and who sometimes built their houses in the trees, and the sea-dwellers, who were very much like the present-day Moro tribes south of Mindanao, who are known as the Samal, and who built their villages over the sea or on the shore and lived much in boats. 
These were probably later arrivals than the forest people. From both of these elements, the Bisaya Filipinos are descended, but while the coast people have been entirely absorbed, some of the hill folk are still pagan and uncivilized, and must be very much as they were when the Spaniards first came. The highest grade of culture was in the settlements where there was regular trade with Borneo, Siam, and China, and especially about Manila, where many Mohammedan Malays had colonized. With the exception of the Negrito, all the languages of the Philippines belong to one great family, which has been called the Malayo-Polynesian. All are believed to be derived from one very ancient mother tongue. It is astonishing how widely these Malayo-Polynesian tongues have spread. Farthest east in the Pacific are the Polynesian languages, then those of the small islands known as Micronesia, then Melanesian or Papuan, the Malayan throughout the East Indian archipelago, and to the north the languages of the Philippines. But this is not all, for far westward on the coast of Africa is the island of Madagascar, many of whose languages have no connection with African, but belong to the Malayo-Polynesian family. It should be a matter of great interest to Filipinos that the great scientist, Baron William von Humboldt, considered the Tagalog to be the richest and most perfect of all the languages of the Malayo-Polynesian family, and perhaps the type of them all. It possesses, he said, all the forms collectively of which particular ones are found singly in other dialects and it has preserved them all with very trifling exceptions unbroken and in entire harmony and symmetry the spanish friars on their arrival in the philippines devoted themselves at once to learning the native dialects and to the preparation of prayers and catechisms in these native tongues they were very successful in their studies Father Chirino tells us of one Jesuit who learned sufficient Tagalog in seventy days to preach and hear confession. In this way, the Bisayan, the Tagalog, and the Ilocano were soon mastered. In the light of the opinion of von Humboldt, it is interesting to find these early Spaniards pronouncing the Tagalog the most difficult and the most admirable. Of all of them, says Padre Chirino, the one which most pleased me and filled me with admiration was the Tagalog, because, as I said to the first archbishop and afterwards to other serious persons, both there and here, I found in it four qualities of the four best languages of the world, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and Spanish, and of Hebrew, the mysteries and obscurities, of the Greek, the articles and the precision, not only of the appellative, but also of the proper nouns, of the Latin, the wealth and elegance, and of the Spanish, the good breeding, politeness, and courtesy. The Malayan languages contain a considerable proportion of words borrowed from the Sanskrit, and in this the Tagalog, Bisayan, and Ilocano are included. Whether these words were passed along from one Malayan group to another, or whether they were introduced by the actual presence and power of the Hindu in this archipelago may be fair ground for debate. But the case for the latter position has been so well and brilliantly put by Dr. Pardo de Tavera that his conclusions are here given in his own words. 
The words which Tagalog borrowed, he says, are those which signify intellectual acts, moral conceptions, emotions, superstitions, names of deities, of planets, of numerals of high number, of botany, of war and its results and consequences, and finally of titles and dignities, some animals, instruments of industry, and the names of money. From the evidence of these words, Dr. Pardo argues for a period in the early history of the Filipinos, not merely of commercial intercourse like that of the Chinese, but of Hindu political and social domination. I do not believe, he says, and I base my opinion on the same words that I have brought together in this vocabulary, that the Hindus were here simply as merchants, but that they dominated different parts of the archipelago, where today are spoken the most cultured languages, the Tagalo, the Visayan, the Pampanga, and the Ilocano, and that the higher culture of these languages comes precisely from the influence of the Hindu race over the Filipino. It is impossible to believe that the Hindus, if they came only as merchants, however great their number, would have impressed themselves in such a way as to give to these islanders the number and the kind of words which they did give. These names of dignitaries, of caciques, of high functionaries of the court, of noble ladies, indicate that all of these high positions, with names of Sanskrit origin, were occupied at one time by men who spoke that language. The words of a similar origin for objects of war, fortresses, and battle songs, for designating objects of religious belief, for superstitions, emotions, feelings, industrial and farming activities, show us clearly that the warfare, religion, literature, industry, and agriculture were at one time in the hands of the Hindus, and that this race was effectively dominant in the Philippines. When the Spaniards arrived in the Philippines, the Filipinos were using systems of writing borrowed from Hindu or Javanese sources. They have learned from us to write running the lines from the left hand to the right, but formerly they only wrote from above downwards, placing the first line, if I remember rightly, at the left hand and continuing with the others to the right and opposite of the Chinese and Japanese. They write upon canes or on leaves of a palm, using for a pen a point of iron. Nowadays, in writing not only their own, but also our letters, they use a quill very well cut, and paper like ourselves. They have learned our language and pronunciation, and write as well as we do, and even better, for they are so bright that they learn everything with the greatest of ease. I have brought with me handwriting with very good and correct lettering. In Tigbawan, I had in school a very small child who in three months' time learned, by copying from well-written letters that I sent him, to write enough better than I, and transcribed for me writings of importance very faithfully and without errors or mistakes. Besides the Tagalogs, the Bisayas, Pampangos, Pengasinans, and Ilocanos had alphabets, or, more properly, syllabaries similar to this one. Dr. Pardo de Tavera has gathered many data concerning them and shows that they were undoubtedly received by the Filipinos 
from a Sanskrit source. The Filipinos used this writing for setting down their poems and songs, which were their only literature. None of this, however, has come down to us, and the Filipinos soon adopted the Spanish alphabet, forming the syllables necessary to write their language from these letters. As all these have phonetic values, it is still very easy for a Filipino to learn to pronounce and so read his own tongue. These old characters lingered for a couple of centuries in certain places. Padre Totanes tells us that it was rare in 1705 to find a person who could use them, but the Tagbanwas, a pagan people on the island of Palawan, use a similar syllabary to this day. Besides poems, they had songs which they sang as they rowed their canoes, as they pounded the rice from its husk, and as they gathered for feast or entertainment, and especially there were songs for the dead. In these songs, says Girino, they recounted the deeds of their ancestors or of their deities. End of chapter 5, part 1